Well, good morning. You know, I hope you're doing well this Sunday morning. This morning, we're returning to our James study. The past couple of weeks, we've um, celebrated Palm Sunday together, and last week we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and now we are returning to our James sermon series. And this morning, we're going to be in James chapter 5, so if you want to go ahead and turn there with me to James chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6 together. You know, earlier in the week, I sent out one of my um, daily videos to you, and the, the title of that video was, Now What? What? And I want to just remind us of what um, I shared there, but I shared as I reflected over the past couple of days since Easter, the overwhelming emotion for me has been, now what? Now that Easter is over, what do we do? Now that our 21 days of prayer and fasting are up, what do we do? Now that the construction is practically done here at the church, what is next? So many questions. You know, questions that all of us are dealing with are, when will they find a cure for the coronavirus? When will our economy open back up? When will I get to go back to work? When will my kids begin to be able to socialize with their friends again? When will you be able to return to the senior center or go back to the mall or or begin life as it used to be? For 21 days, you know what? We prayed and fasted leading up to Easter. You know, part of that praying was this. We were praying specifically that life wouldn't be like it used to be. And so my prayer for us is as we get on the other side of of this coronavirus, that we return better and stronger than we've ever been. You know, over those 21 days, we prayed specifically for one another. We prayed for the sick. We prayed for the virus to go away. We prayed for the lost. We prayed for our Easter services, for our kids and our neighbors and our places of employment. So what do we do now? Let me challenge all of us to pray harder, to surrender more, to love greater, to grow deeper, and to reach out even more than we've ever done, and to reach out to one another as a faith family and as a community as well, to reach out to one another and help one another. Here's what we know. We know that God is on his throne, and we know that he is in control, and we know that there is nothing that happens that he is not aware of. This coronavirus is not a surprise to him. It may be a surprise to us. It may have even caused a severe shock to our mental system, our physical system, our emotional system, our political system, and even our economic system. But it should have also caused us as believers to grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the midst of this virus, here's what we can be certain of. This is an occasion for the glory of God to be revealed. We know that it is out of times of darkness that the glorious light of Christ is revealed. Think about before Christ came, reaching all the way back to Isaiah, when Isaiah prophesied of the arrival of the Messiah. One of the things that he said about the day 
that Christ would arrive was that he was going to arrive in the midst of extreme darkness across the land. In Isaiah 8:22 we read, "And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." Before this virus hit our world, it was a time of of a depletion of our moral state. And I now believe with all of my heart that in the midst of this virus, the church is growing stronger. Many within our faith family, within the greater church, have given up their idols. They have returned to the Lord. They have spent much time praying and fasting and reaching out to one another. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ around this world. You may be watching this morning and you may be one of those that have entered into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of this pandemic that we find ourselves in. Here's what I want to challenge us again to do. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep growing. And let's keep glowing for the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we read these words. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. One writer shared, the darkness is the divine setup for the light. The sickness is the divine setup for healing. The current crisis is the divine setup for the church to arise and shine and make a difference. This virus is an opportunity for healing, physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, and spiritual healing as well. And it is also an opportunity for the church to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I believe with all my heart that, that just as Jesus declared when he spoke about the harvest, about people being ripe for harvest, people being ready to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe right now and even on the other side of this virus, people are going to be ready to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In John four thirty five. Jesus spoke these words, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. The fields outside of the doors of this church, outside the doors of your home are ripe for harvest. You may be watching this video this morning, and then you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Today is the day of your salvation. What is keeping you from responding to Jesus Christ on this Sunday morning? My friends, let us pray harder. Let us love greater. Let us put into practice the fruits of the Spirit. Let's demonstrate patience within our homes, gentleness around one another, kindness towards one another. And let's put all the other fruits of the Spirit into practice as well. And let's also reach out to one another, continue to help one another, continue to check on one another, continue to deliver goods to one another. 
That's what we've been called to do as the church. Yes, these times are difficult. Yes, these times are unconventional. Man, I'll tell you now, I do not enjoy preaching to an empty room. But that's what we have to do right now until we get on the other side of this. So let's use this as an opportunity again just to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you now, Father, just thanking you for the privilege it is to worship you. Father, for the freedom that we have to worship you. Father, I know that we're not gathering in in the big room today. We're gathering around our living rooms, our, our dining rooms or maybe even out on our patios. We're gathering. And Father, your word makes it clear that we're two or three are gathered. You are right there in our midst. So whether it's a single person at home in, in, in being a part of this service this morning or a group of people in their backyard, you are right in our midst. So Father, speak to us, speak through us, reveal to us how we can make um, some lifestyle changes during this academic, um, this, this, this um, time that we find ourselves in, Lord Jesus. Father, we love you, and we just ask that you continue to make yourself known to us through our time of worship today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, once again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. You know, today happens to be one of those days where you have to preach the entirety of, of the Word of God. You can't skip over things. At least I don't skip over things. I don't pick and choose what comes next. Um, in our James study, we're actually today addressing money. And if you know me, I, I don't spend a lot of time preaching about money, but this morning we're going to to look at what the Lord has to say about money and about our stewardship. And so we read together in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, on the hills of James chapter 4, where in the latter part of that chapter, James had just addressed um, to the people the, the kind of chastised them for leaving God out of their business planning. And he said to do such a thing was actually a sin. And now this morning, James is going to go from calling out those who leave God out of their business planning to calling out the rich. So notice what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. It's this, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Our message point this morning is this, a call to right stewardship. You know, you and I, we live in the greatest country in the world, don't we? Even in the midst of this pandemic that we find ourselves in, we make up 
30% of the world's wealth, but only less than 5% of the world's population. To say that we are not a blessed people would be an absolute wrong statement to make. Within our focal passage this morning, James speaks of the coming judgment. Okay, um, we're going to see here in um, really we got one point this morning, but it's this God's judgment. Let me ask you a question this morning: Have you ever wanted what someone else has? Have you ever found yourself wanting what the Joneses down the street have, or the Smiths down the street have? You know, I think all of us have been there. I think all of us have compared what little we have with what the rich have. Maybe we've compared our um, kind of longed and, 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 and asked for um, a little bit of what Bill Gates has or Jeff Bezos has or Warren Buffett has. We, we make these statements. If, if I could just have a little bit of what they have, man, life sure would be so much easier. Folks, Scripture is pretty clear when it comes to our finances, isn't it? In Matthew 19, 24, we read these words spoken by Jesus. In 19, 24, it says, Again, Jesus said, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, he said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves with many pangs. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs eleven twenty eight, 28, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. To have money is not a problem. The problem comes when that money has you. Within our passage this morning, that is clearly the case. Many rich were taking advantage of the poor, and James is calling them out for such action. Not only does he call the rich out, but he also provides his readers, and subsequently each one of us, hope in the midst of our want. Remember, these men and women James wrote to used to be part of his church in Jerusalem. I mean, it was a church that consisted of of thousands of people. But when persecution came, the church was scattered. So these people that, that may have had stuff at one time were, were left to flee with just the little that they could carry with them. And so they landed in all parts of the known world. And whenever they sinned upon these, these areas, they were left with, with very little. People were dying for their faith. People were being persecuted for their faith. People were being imprisoned for their faith. People were forced to renounce their faith. And many of these scattered believers were left homeless. They were left jobless. They were left completely impoverished. And so in the midst of their want, it could be that James is writing to these men and women and encouraging them and encouraging them not to covet what their neighbor has, not to long for what their neighbor has, has and 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 telling them to be content with what the Lord had provided them with. 
It could be that James is telling the believers that you don't want what they have because it's just going to lead to spiritual ruin. And to those with all the money, James is warning them about what is to come if they don't give up their sinful lifestyle. He wrote in verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. You know, James is saying, you are living, you who are living independent of God, judgment awaits you. There is coming a day when every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account for how we have lived our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we read these words, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Everyone will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. God's word makes that clear. The rich will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The poor will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the reason James is saying that weeping and howling and, and, and misery awaits the rich is because they have used their riches not to advance God's kingdom, but actually to advance their own earthly kingdoms. And because of that, judgment was coming. You know, within our passages of Scripture, James points out really five indictments towards the rich. The first one is this, the rich hoarded. In verses 2, in the first part of verse 3, we read, Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Much like today, as it was in the first century, the rich kind of like to flaunt their stuff. All of us have known people that have flaunted their stuff. You know, social media today really is all about that, all about flaunting what an individual has. And you remember um, the show, The Lifestyle of the Rich and Famous? Okay, here's the deal. If you remember that show, you're, you're, you're showing your age. Okay, Justin is in the room right now, and he shook his head. Randy's in the room now, and I know that Randy remembers um, that day or watching that show. But this was a show all about flaunting one's extravagance for others to see. These people would flaunt their yachts, their mega mansion, their exotic car collection, their extensive high-end wardrobes. It was a very popular TV show. Here's the deal. People love to dream about having what others actually have. These first century rich Jews, they were the same way. They flaunted what they had. And James is saying right here, he's saying that riches rot, making reference to grain that was overflowing within their, their, their storehouses. That would eventually rot. Their robes would be moth-eaten. Their, their gold and silver would corrode or tarnish. How many of you remember mothballs? Okay, probably, again, showing my age a little bit here. But I haven't been around those in a really long time. But the smell of mothballs is very, very unique. I remember going to my grandmother's house. 
and her house just smelt of mothballs. She had those things everywhere. They were in her dresser drawers. They were in her closet. They were lined in her coat pockets. When you come to my house, you may find a little candy jar. You went to her house and you found a jar that would be full of mothballs. Here's what the deal was. She was trying to keep her clothes preserved from the moths. And that's exactly what was happening in the first century amongst these rich people. They were trying everything they could to preserve that which they had. And James is calling them out for it and and basically saying that all that you have is eventually going to rot away. And then what are you going to be left with? Absolutely nothing. You know, Everything is going to come and go, just like life, right? This story is shared of a couple of men that were at the funeral of a filthy rich man. And one of the men turned to the other guys and said, how much did he leave behind? And the other man said, he left it all. Here is one guarantee. The rich and the poor will leave this world with the exact same amount of stuff. So here's the question. Those with Jesus are going to leave this world having having been guaranteed a lifetime of eternity in the presence of God the Father in heaven. Those that leave this world without Jesus there is a guarantee that they will experience torment in the depths of, this, in the, depths of the earth, in, in, in a place called hell. So the question is, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? In heaven or hell? Heaven because you've surrendered your life to Jesus and repented of your sins, or in hell because you've chosen to live independent of God? That leads us to our second subpoint this morning. It is this. James says that the rich will be tormented. We read in the latter part of verse 3, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the, la- in, in, in the last days. And he's speaking of the unbelievers here. He's speaking about the judgment that is going to come to them because they don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They place their trust in stuff instead of their trust in the Lord. Some of the saddest people have been revealed to be some of the richest people. Why is that? It's because they're They have placed their faith in stuff instead of in the Lord. Stuff without Jesus will result in an eternity separated from Jesus. Again, to have money is not the problem. It is when that money has you that there is a problem. The rich did the exact opposite of what James, um, throughout his, his book, has instructed. You know, he's reaching back to to Jesus, reaching back to the generosity that Jesus called all believers to have. 
And, and, you know, James, in the early part of his book, talks about how we as believers are to take care of one another, how we are to reach out to the widows and the orphans, and we're to provide for one another. And so James is calling out these rich people because they're not doing that. And here's what Jesus made abundantly clear. He calls us where? Calls us to store up our treasures where? On earth or in heaven? In heaven, right? In Matthew 6, 20 through 21, Jesus um, spoke these words. He said, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart this morning? What kind of investment are you making with the resources that God has given you? Eternal investments or temporal investments? Notice the next indictment that James brings against the rich. He, he speaks of the rich defrauding. In verse 4 we read, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Cheating is always wrong, isn't it? But to cheat out a a poor person after doing a job is just downright criminal, isn't it? There was a Jewish law that made it clear that a person who has, or a person was to be paid a fair wage at the end of every day. To not do so would be criminal, but, but it would also prevent that man who was working the fields from being able to go home with the day wage so that he could provide for his family. So it would actually make the poor poorer if they couldn't provide for their family. You know, reaching back to the book of Leviticus, the law prevented such action. And that's what James is making it clear to these rich people, that they are breaking the law of the Lord. In Leviticus 19.13 we read, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You know, as as I reflect upon the coronavirus, you know, there is a group of people that I believe it has affected more than any other, besides those that have um, gotten sick as a result of it. But it's the laborer, right? There have been over 21 million people that have been laid off, fired, or furloughed since this coronavirus swept across our land. And as you watch this service this morning, you may be one of those. You may also be on the other end of this and have had to lay someone off because you could not afford to keep them. Here's my prayer for you and my plea to you. If you have had to lay someone off, please pay that person for the work they have done. Please do not hold their wages back from them. To do so, Scripture makes it clear that that is just all out wrong. Not only does James condemn the rich for cheating the poor, but he also condemns them for their indulgent lifestyle. 
We see here the rich indulged. In verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. These people had an insatiable appetite for more. They could never have enough. They were never content with that which they had. In Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12, um, the writer challenges us here. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Solomon says that the rich can't find contentment when they are awake, nor can they find contentment when they are asleep. You know, life is all about, it seems like for some, getting more and more and more, regardless of those that are damaged because they have this insatiable appetite for more. James calls out those who indulge at the expense of others. And that leads us now to our, our final subpoint. It's this, the rich violated. In verse 6 we read, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. You know, oftentimes the weak and the poor have no voice. Am I right? Think about our judicial system. Who usually wins out? The person with the most money, the person that can hire the best lawyer. Sure, the little guy wins out sometimes, but most of the time they don't win out because they don't have the resource to continue in the midst of litigation. And so what happens is those that big corporation, those that can afford the fancy lawyers, they end up getting taken advantage of. And that's exactly what was happening um, in, 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 in this um, first century world. The rich were taking advantage of the poor and the weak. Make no mistake, though, there is coming a day when justice will indeed come to all. To the faithful poor, just like the unfaithful rich. And what we know for certain is this. God will judge the sinful just like he delivers the faithful. There is coming a day when every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will have to give an account for how we lived our lives. If you have chosen to live your life independent of God, you will be judged for your sinfulness. If you have chosen to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you will stand before Jesus rewarded for your faith. You know, the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that has ever walked this earth have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All of us have sinned. But there's good news. Yes, 
It says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. Okay, What our sin nature deserves is an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Romans 6.23 goes on to declare, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a free gift that Jesus has made available to everyone who places their faith in him, who repent of their sins, and who call out to him for salvation. And that is the gift of eternal life. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you experienced the free gift of his salvation? If you haven't, let me challenge you this morning. First, repent of your sins, okay? Ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of those sins. And then make the declaration. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be Savior and Lord of your life. And if you do that, the Bible makes it abundantly clear in Romans 10, 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you haven't called out on the name of Jesus today, do that. Repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Let me challenge you also this morning that if you have done that, if you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and if you have asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, reach out to me. Okay, at the end of um, this slide um, that are beside me, my email is on there. It's fbctruth at gmail.com. Email me and tell me, hey, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Um, message me on Facebook. Call the church office, 972-562-6895, I believe is the number, but it'll be up here in just a moment. I want to celebrate with you, and I want to help you as you make that transition into the next steps and begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. As we conclude our time this morning, here's some truths for all of us to live by. Just as reminders, first of all, riches don't last. Whatever you gain on this earth, you're not going to take any of it with you. Riches will not save you. It doesn't matter how big your bank account is. When you take your final breath on this side of eternity, that money will not save you. In fact, Riches can actually hinder our walk with Christ because the problem sometimes with money is that money has us instead of um, Christ having us, right? So once again, it's not wrong to have money. Many, 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 some of the richest people to ever walk the face of this earth lived during biblical times. So money isn't the problem. The problem is when that money has you and when you trust in that money and live independent of God because you're placing your trust in that money. Also, practice integrity within your business, whether you're the employee or the employer. And let us use the wealth that God has given all of us, because all of us are extremely wealthy. Let's use it to advance God's kingdom and not our own earthly kingdom. And let me just challenge us just as a, as a faith family and friends as, as we're concluding our message this morning. Focus on what really matters during these days. 
Focus on your relationship with the Lord. Focus on your relationship with your family. Focus on your relationship with the church and the greater church. Reach out to the lost. Continue to help one another. Continue to grow and go and, 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 and invest in one another. You know, if there's anything that I've learned as a result of the days that we are living in today, it's this. I've got more than I need. You know, yeah, I miss being able to go to the movies. Yeah, I miss um, being able to go to, you know, the fancy stores that I shop at like Kohl's and picking up a shirt or something like that. Yeah, I miss some of that. But you know what? I don't need any of that. I've got everything that I need now because I have my relationship with Jesus. I have my church family. I've got my, my wife and children and dad and my extended family. I've got everything I need, just like you have everything you need, right? Man, let's use these days that are in front of us to grow stronger and deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just thanking you for this day, thanking you for the opportunity to worship you, thanking you for the opportunity to dive into your word, thanking you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, to place our faith and trust in you. If, if someone has done that this morning, which I, I pray that that has been the case, Lord, there's no greater decision that a person can make, Father. In fact, your word says that when a person enters into a relationship with you, all of the angels in heaven rejoice. Father, I pray that today, Lord, man, the angels are rejoicing because of those that have placed their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray that as we go um, about our day, as we go about our week, Lord Jesus, that we will be content with that which we have. Father, I pray that if there is someone that has been watching this, Lord Jesus, that, that falls in the category of, of being rich, living independent of you, that they will recognize that today and they will begin to make some radical changes in their lives where they begin to invest in, um, in, 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 in the heavenlies, in the kingdom of God, as opposed in, to the kingdom of this earth. Lord, we pray, Father, that you will be with us once again. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.